The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. You know, God can use debates for His glory, too. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We're going to take a break from politics. We're going to take a break from secular world events happening around us and talk about debating and how God can use debates. So debates can be destructive, distracting. They can be all kinds of divisive, but God can use debates. And and there's a lot to learn from this. I think you're going to be fascinated. We've got some really neat clips we're going to be playing for you as we take you into some past debates that I've done and At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to make an announcement, something I am really, really excited about, really, really looking forward to. Can't wait to share it with you. So I'm going to make that announcement at the bottom of the hour. If you've been stymied with a question, maybe talking to someone who doesn't believe what you believe, maybe talking to someone from another faith, maybe talking to someone who used to believe what you believe, and it's thrown you, or you you don't know the best way to answer the question— Give me a call. Maybe we can help you. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. So most of you know my own story. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. So that means out of the gate, from day one, I was talking to family members, friends, rabbis, others that didn't believe what I believed. And when my dad saw my life was changed, I was a heavy drug user, ages 14 to 16, radically born again at the age of 16, My dad's thrilled to see me off drugs, but he says, Michael, we're Jews. We don't believe in Jesus. So he brings me to meet the local rabbi. I'm 16. The local rabbi at that time is maybe about 27. He was fresh out of Jewish theological seminary, brilliant man, and took a real personal interest in me for years. We've still been in touch now almost 50 years later. But he took a real personal interest in me and would talk to me about what I believed and would gently challenge it and then sometimes challenge it more aggressively. And I didn't have the answers then. I mean, he's fresh out of Jewish Theological Seminary. He's been studying Hebrew since he's a little boy. He's a brilliant guy. And I'm, I'm just reading the Bible for myself for the first time and reading it in English and reading it in the King James, the Bible that I was given when I came to faith. Still have that Bible. And, I mean, I had to study and read and dig. And, and then the rabbi would challenge me with questions. And my pastor, that wasn't his strength. He was a man of prayer. He shared the gospel a lot. You know, he would help you develop just to... to be you know, someone that loved the Word of God and loved the Lord and shared your faith and things, but, but he, was, he was not an apologist. He was not a defender of the faith. He was not one that, that was learned in all different theological uh, uh, studies and, and Hebrew and Greek and things like that. So he wasn't the one to go to with those kind of questions, and I, really I didn't know anyone to go to with those kind of questions. When I started college, I started learning Hebrew seriously because I thought I've got to be able to read the text for myself. I can't just depend on what someone else says because you get thrown. I sat with brilliant rabbis, very, very devoted religious men. They were just as devoted, it seemed, as I was. You know what I'm saying? They, They prayed for hours every day. I prayed for hours every day. They studied for hours. I studied for hours. They talked about loving God. I talked about loving God. They certainly looked a lot more authentically Jewish than me going to a church 
Nothing Jewish about that. Right there, they're in the synagogue, long beards, studying the Hebrew texts, and these things were challenging. Challenging emotionally, intellectually. And, and when we talk about apologetics, the defense of the faith, it's not just for those who don't agree with us. It's not just for those who don't believe. It's to help those within the faith. It's to help those who do believe. According to best-selling novelist Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code, these other mega-selling books, according to his story, his, his mother was an organist, I think, in an Episcopalian church. His dad more scientifically, mathematically oriented. He liked his dad's scientific, rational reasoning. He liked his mother's spirituality and faith. But as he got to be a young man, teenager, he started to find contradictions between spirituality and science and faith and rational thinking. And according to him, he went to the local priest and he said, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and it seems to contradict science. And what do I do? According to Dan Brown, the priest said to him, nice boys don't ask questions like that. And Dan Brown walked out of the church. You can see that anti-religious, anti-church mentality in his novels, glaringly, quite openly. I mean, you read it, think something happened somewhere along the line. That's what happened. So when we don't provide solid answers for people, when we don't have an environment where a college student can come with his questions, where we're not able to help a younger teen that just got exposed to Bible bashing tweets or, or, or notes sent out via TikTok or whatever the social media form is, kids get discouraged. Older people get discouraged. They wonder, is it true? Is it real? You got the pressure of society on top of that. So people struggle. People do wonder. And that's why through the Bible, you have this aspect of debating, of, of reasoning. I'm going to look at some verses about Jesus in a moment. But here, let me, let me just run through a few scriptures with you. You know, a lot of people have the idea that to really be a fervent believer, you almost have to turn your mind off. You know, just turn that brain off. No, we can overthink and not have simple faith. But simple faith does not require you to be an idiot. Simple faith does not require you to turn your brain off. Here, Acts 17, 2, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Acts 7, 17, 17, he, he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Uh, Acts 18, 4, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Uh, same thing once again. Uh, Acts 18, 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with them. I, I mean, over and over. Uh, Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue, verse 8, and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So he's, he's arguing, he's reasoning. This was something he did regularly. And this is something that I had to learn to do because I was kind of thrown in the deep water as a brand new believer. And either it, it was learn to swim or sink in a hurry. In point of fact, I have met Jewish believers in Jesus all around the world. And I've heard them share that they were struggling. They got hit with questions from the rabbis. Their parents wanted them to talk to the counter-missionary rabbi when they were new believers or whatever happened to them. And they were struggling because here are solid questions being raised. Things that assault their faith. Friends, we don't shut our brains to these. We, people struggle. Just because you don't struggle doesn't mean your kids don't struggle. Just because you don't struggle doesn't mean your spouse doesn't struggle. Just because your pastor doesn't struggle doesn't mean that you don't struggle. Genuine questions. Uh, can I trust this translation or not? 
Did the New Testament writers get things wrong or not? Is there some hidden agenda here or not? And, and when those questions are presented and you have solid answers, these, these Jewish believers and others have said, I, I was straying, I was losing my faith, I was becoming discouraged, and I read your material or I watched this debate you did, and faith came alive in my heart. Here, Dave Gettleman, currently the general manager of the New York Giants, previously general manager of the Carolina Panthers, took them to the Super Bowl with their 15-1 season. Dave Gettleman and I met in Carolina, Charlotte, a few years ago. What's his story? Well, Jewish man, began attending a Messianic congregation with one of his friends, was starting to believe in Yeshua, but had a lot of questions. He attended a debate I did in New York City with Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, and that was the night his questions were answered. That was the night that he knew that he knew he was believing the truth, and then he jumped in both feet afterwards. Yeah, powerful testimonies. We got a call. I'm going to play some excerpts for you in a little while. We got a call from a woman. She's written to us subsequently. Uh, she, from the age of 27 and until around early 50s, was living as, quote, lesbian Christian, but was strong in her faith, meaning she read the word. She believed she was being a solid Christian. When her mother would come and, and give her scriptures against it, she'd say, I don't see Jesus being quoted there. I see Paul, and you know Paul had his issue with women, and I see this one, and I don't see Jesus being quoted. That was her answer. And, and she's wanted us to understand that she was really serious. She would have been orthodox in many of her other beliefs. She would have thought, hey, here's a solid Christian lady, but she's living with another woman, and she's believing that it's fine in God's sight. So here she is, deeply deceived and not in right relationship with God, although she was convinced she was. And we're going to play clips from three debates today. One where Dr. James White and I teamed up debating a gay pastor and a lesbian pastor. Another where I'm debating uh, a Greek scholar about the gifts of the Spirit. Do they continue? And then another where I'm debate dialogue with a liberal rabbi, respected rabbi in England, about Jesus being the Messiah and Messianic prophecies. So we're going to play some of those clips for you. And then again, bottom of the hour, I've got this announcement to make you really, really psyched about and would love your prayer support as I step into this. So this woman watches the debate, and she said God brought her to her knees. It wasn't that she even said, you know, I need to repent. God brought her to her knees to repent of the sin in her life and of, of rejecting what his word said and recognizing the whole of scripture was against her lifestyle. She told the person she's with, it's over. And she is as strong sounding as anyone I've talking to in terms of determination to move forward in Jesus. And while she's not attracted to men at the moment, she has lost her attraction to women. Yeah, that's the power of the gospel at work in her life. And I'm sure if she felt the twinge of attraction, she'd rebuke it or just ignore it because she's determined to follow Jesus. What happened? She watched a debate. So look, I can be a debater in a non-constructive way. I can be a debater in a harmful way. What I mean is I can be argumentative. I can just pick a fight. Uh, you say one thing, I say the other. That could, that's a fleshly thing that is unhealthy, unhelpful, doesn't glorify the Lord. Oh, if you just want to have fun, you know, debating issues and sharpening each other, and that's fine. That's one thing. But otherwise, it is unhelpful 
in and of itself. However, godly debates where people are trying to catch you in your words as religious leaders tried to catch Jesus, Yeshua, in his words, or God using Apollos to refute objections, God uses these. Eyes are open. Minds are changed. Believers are strengthened. I have very little scientific background. I can give basic arguments, but I can't just do a scientific debate. No way, no how. But boy, I know John Lennox can. And I, I know William Lane Craig can. And it's not just their debating skills. It's the information. The information is there. It, it's tremendously encouraging to know you're on the side of truth. And, and you don't have to compromise your faith. And you don't have some weird stuff that's not true. It's greatly encouraging. All right, we got some great clips to play for you. Don't go anywhere. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, friends, I've got an announcement I have been waiting to make, and I finally have the opportunity to make it. So right now, what's today's date? April 5th, Monday, April 5th. So you may be listening on podcast or watching online or watching on Dish TV or Pluto Network on America's Voice watching this a few days later. So if I'm asking for prayer, unless you believe in the power of retroactive prayer, uh, you don't need to be praying for this specifically, but there is a new Christian TV network, Awakening TV, spelled A-W-K-N-G. So get rid of the other vowels after the first one, A-W-K-N-G. To find out more, go to awkngtv.com. I believe that's the right address. Brand new subscription-based network. It's got everything from theology shows to young people discussing issues to cooking shows. And we've come up with a show that we'll be doing for them. And every week we'll get to play some highlights for you. So even if you don't subscribe, you'll get to see a few minutes of highlights. It's called That's Debatable with Dr. Brown. I've got permission to announce it now. And immediately after radio today, drive home and from there, Go to the airport, scheduled to fly into Florida, where a studio has been built specifically for this TV show. And uh, over the next two days, so Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, so all those hearing this now, please do pray. Uh, I'll be recording four debates a day from gay activist pastor to transgender pastor to evangelical turned atheist to Muslim to pro-abortion spokesperson. I, I mean, an extraordinary range of debates that we'll be doing. And it's a really neat format. It's going to be sharp, a few minutes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, just half-hour shows. So within it, you know, it's, it's going to be quick and to the point. So please pray with me. Luke 21, 15 is a key verse that some of our prayer team God on their hearts. Luke 21, 15, it's in a different context of disciples being persecuted, but Jesus is saying, at that time, I'll give you words and wisdom. The Greek is literally a mouth, but I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist. So please pray for me for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
for clarity of thought and mind, for grace, for truth to prevail. We want to minister to those that I'm debating, and then we want these to be great, great tools. So I don't know when they'll be ready to start airing, maybe sometime next month. Uh, If you're a subscriber to the network, you'll know. But again, each week, we'll be able to grab a highlight from each debate once it airs and share it with all of you. So please pray. I know the Lord fashioned me to do this very thing, but I'm not relying on me, my strength, my knowledge, wisdom. I'm relying entirely on the Lord and his grace and his truth to shine forth through me. A few years ago, Dr. James White and I were asked if we would do a debate together. We would do these all the time if we could. It's one of our greatest joys in life to team together and do debates rather than debate each other. We've only been able to do this twice so far, and each time has been rich and extraordinary. So this is a debate uh, that Dr. James White and I did in Florida, and on the other side of the debate, a gay pastor and a lesbian pastor. And they were very devoted to what they believed to be true and that God approved of their their relationships, etc. So, um, and, you know, I said I was going to make the announcement at the bottom of the hour. I'll, I'll remake it then, but I was just so excited to make it, I made it a little early. So uh, I want to take you into this. This is like the cross-examination back and forth. We're asking each other questions, etc. So it's Dr. James White and I on the other side, a gay pastor and a lesbian pastor. And uh, we'll play a few clips. Check this out. Follow-up question along the same lines. Yeah, please. Um, at the end of Romans chapter 1, this same argument that you've uh, said to us uh, is about idolatry. He then prescribes that they are murderers and these other things. Do you believe that uh, homosexuality leads to the things that Paul prescribes there in no, it's a, no it's, it's a common error to think that because uh, Paul mentions actually a huge catalog of sins at the end, that that means that everyone uh, commits all of those sins. That's, that's not the case at all. The point is that when a person exchanges the truth of God for the lie, there is a result. And the reason that homosexuality is mentioned in verses 26 27 is because of that use of the phrase natural order, the way God made us. What this means is sin touches us at the very core of our being, the very identity of our being, and twists that relationship even at that point. There's no connection to the therefore saying that means you're going to automatically be disobedient to parents, you're automatically going to speak evil of, uh, of authorities or anything like that. All those things flow from rebellion, but not every sin flows from every other sin. It's, it's also interesting to note that we affirm all the other things are sin murder, idolatry, sexual immorality. We don't say they're only sin in the context of idol worship or if done in an idol temple. We all affirm that all those are sin, and somehow people try to just pull out men with men, women with women, and say that doesn't mean what what Paul said it meant. So again, this is the, the progression when we reject God, that it leads to this, to this, to this, and hence the fallen human race. And there are many, many different manifestations of our fallen nature. All right, so that was the the first part of that back and forth dialogue. Again, questions being asked of us. So uh, let's let's go to another clip from this. Remember, it was watching this debate that this woman who identified as a lesbian Christian for over 20 years was awakened to the reality of the gospel. All right, clip number two. So then you believe, you don't believe that he uses the word therefore 
after talking about what you've described as homosexuality, to describe behaviors that come out of that uh, homosexual description. Because he says, therefore, God gave them up over to reprobate minds. After he says these, what you describe as homosexual Wh Which acts. verse are you referring to? Um, I do apologize. I didn't pull up the verse because I have, have it memorized. Thank you so much, John. But 24 comes before the description. I, I thought you had just said afterwards. After. Read, read 24 and 25. Yeah, therefore God gave them over, but then, verse, that's verse 24. 26 mm -hmm. is, is then, therefore God gave them over to dishonoring passions and the women and so on and so forth. So there's two therefores, but uh, they're, they're introducing it. And it sounded like you said there's something afterwards that somehow connects it with that other vice list, and that's what I did. I'm understand. sorry. The, the words there are for this reason, and it's in um, verse 26, and then we find... Um, and then down in verse number 28, and even as they did not retain the, uh, retain, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased mind. This is after he mm -hmm. has described that. That's what I'm talking about. Well, but you'll notice that specifically in verse 28, and just as they did not uh, consider it right or good to uh, keep God in their knowledge, God gave them over. So again, the, the point is, in each one of these instances, going all the way back to verse 21, when you refuse to <clears throat> see yourself, when you are in sin, when you do not submit to God and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there is going to be a resultant um, disruption of your relationship, not only to God, but to the creation around you. And the point of verses 26 to 27 is that is even something that occurs inwardly, even in our understanding of our attractions and that which God has given to us to even continue the species. And so the point is that idolatry and sin touches all of mankind. It's not just an external thing. It touches every aspect of our being. And, and again, Paul is explicit about this being contrary, men with men, women with women, contrary to God's created order in Genesis 1. And he's not talking about the same person throughout this whole thing, and this person gets worse and worse. He's talking about humanity. And again, that, that's why the progression keeps going the way it goes. So I want... All right, yeah, so we just got to hear from Ruth for one split second there. Sorry we didn't get more of her voice in there. But just, you know, the back and forth. What does the text say? What does it actually say? And then one last clip, just a short clip from this debate that we had a few years back. But my problem with this is, is simple. If, when the Holy Spirit reveals to me that my life is good, that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, it sounds like you're rejecting my relationship with God and the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying the Holy Spirit is not contradicting the Word of God. That's the bottom line. And, and, and if I, I tell you, if I I tell you the too. Holy Spirit spoke to me that you're wrong, then you have to reject the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Ultimately, Scripture is what we agree on, right? Thank, thank you, everybody. Now, isn't that interesting that here you have this lesbian pastor saying that the Holy Spirit said to her, her life is fine, she's in good relationship with God, the Holy Spirit will not contradict Scripture. This is a lesbian pastor saying that. I was in another forum and a lesbian pastor encouraged everyone, yes, seek Jesus, seek the Word of God, you need to do that. So let's agree on that. We seek the Lord, and we look at the testimony of Scripture. But can I tell you the thing that brought us all to the table together was what we were not mean-spirited, angry, hateful, 
And it's not that we controlled ourselves during the debate. No, it's not. The hatred is not in our heart. Anger is not in our heart. Only God's love for those for whom Jesus died, who are not in right relationship with him. Here, they're... I'm sure if you talk to these people, they're devoted pastors in different ways and caring for their flocks and so on, and yet, down a road to deception. Having a public discussion, a public dialogue, where you can open these things up, not only helps educate the church, it helps those who are struggling and confused, and it even convicts those who've been on the wrong side. The Holy Spirit can use this to jar and open their hearts and minds. You better believe debates can be used for the glory of God. And thank you, those pledging your prayer support for the debates we'll be recording. Thank you for praying. It's going to make a great difference. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. The Word of God, famous verse in 1 Peter 3, tells us that we should be prepared to give a reason for what we believe. We should be prepared to give a defense of our faith. Why? Because people will have questions. And if we just say, well, just believe, just believe, Many people will walk away at that. You say, yeah, well, they just need a miracle in their lives. Well, let's say God gives them a miracle. Let's say they are miraculously healed. Let's say something happens to them that's utterly life-changing. And now the months go on, the years go on, and people begin to challenge what they believe. Okay, you had a miracle, but how do you know the Bible's really true? You had a miracle. How do you know what your church teaches is really true? You had a miracle, but how do you know Bible translations can be trusted? You had a miracle, but how do you explain these verses in the Old Testament that paints God as a monster? And what do you do with this? And what do you do with that? And what about the people who aren't healed? And next thing, that miracle alone doesn't carry you. Yes, the old saying is true. A a person with an argument is, excuse me, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. That your ongoing experience and relationship with God is the foundation for everything. But what about questions in your mind? What about if you're not sure if what you believe is true? I have a book due out May 11th. We'll be writing to everyone about it and how you can get signed, pre-ordered copies of the, of the first edition. It's called, Has God Failed You? Has God Failed You? Finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. And there's a chapter in that book called Permission to Doubt from a verse in Jude that says, Have mercy on those who doubt. There is a doubt that is stubborn, that is hard-hearted, that God rebukes. And there's another doubt where it's, I don't know if I can, is there a God or is this true? I don't know. And a lot of people don't know where to go with their questions, and they they grow and they grow and they grow, and then finally just, just break away and leave and deny their faith. So please pray. Right after radio today, scheduled to fly down to Florida. So again, if you're watching on a delayed broadcast or listening on podcast after the show, This is Monday, April 5th, scheduled to fly down to Florida immediately after radio today, right after the broadcast, and then do a total of eight debates over two days. They're half-hour broadcasts on the brand-new Awakening TV network. So awakeningtv.com to find out more. You can get a free trial. So it's a wide range of broadcasts from, from 
young people talking about difficult issues to ladies talking about famous women in the Bible to cooking shows and this brand new show, which I now have permission to announce that's debatable with Dr. Brown. And each show will be a half hour long. So with, you know, intro, outro, things like that, we'll have a core within it of maybe, you know, 20 minutes back and forth, real sharp debate time. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule from a minister famous for his replacement theology teaching. So we'll be debating has the church replaced Israel to someone that was well-known in certain Christian circles before falling away, now with lots of questions, to someone that's an aggressive atheist leader in America, former evangelical, to a Muslim debating the Quran or the Bible, which is the word of God, uh, to a very out and proud gay pastor, to a transgender pastor, um, so we're talking about you know male to female, female to male, situation like that, about transgender identities, um, woman who's abortion proponent, discussing God's heart, pro-life, pro-choice. Yeah. Uh, and then one more, we still have to lock in. So pray, and this is, this is not a matter of, I want to win a debate. Oh, I can win a debate or come out looking good. No, I want the Lord to be exalted. I want hearts and minds to be opened. I want lives to be changed. I want believers to be strengthened. I want this to be a resource. And even though this is a subscription-based network for the year to get all the shows, uh, every week uh, with our arrangement with the TV station, every week we'll take like a few minutes uh, out of each debate and play them for you on the air. So every week you'll get to see a highlight from the debate. And it's a lively format. It's going to allow for a lot of back and forth and exchanges. So thank you for praying. Uh, let's, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, it tells us this, that, that different religious leaders came to Jesus. And notice what it says in verse, in verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might trap him with a word or trap him in his words. And they sent him some of their disciples along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you're honest and teach the way of God and truth, which was accurate. What others think doesn't concern you, for you do not look at men's appearance. All accurate. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it permitted to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, these are presumably sharp guys with good legal reasoning. And they're used to going back and forth and back and forth. And they probably thought this through. Whatever he says is going to be trapped. But Yeshua, knowing their wickedness, said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So he knew by the Spirit. So number one, he's a step ahead because he has supernatural insight by the Holy Spirit. And let's believe for that, that, that the Lord would give words that are not just logical answers, but, but spiritually anointed and spiritually wise answers during these debates. So they bring him a denarius. He said to them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed. And then others tried to trap him. See, trap him in his words. Trap him in his words. He's a public figure. He's the Messiah. He's making claims. If we can trap him in his words, we can prove he's not. We can embarrass him. We can expose him. One more scripture, and then I want to take you into a couple of recent debates ahead. Acts chapter 18, fascinating verse, and one that's been very meaningful to me over the years. Acts chapter 18 when Apollos wanted to cross over to Achaia, verse 27, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Now, he was mighty in scriptures and discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. 
upon arrival, notice this, he greatly helped those who by grace had believed. How did he help them? Verse 28, for he powerfully refuted the Jewish people in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that the Messiah was Yeshua. How did he greatly help those who by grace had believed? By powerfully refuting other Jews, Apollos himself a Jew, in public debate, right? Demonstrating through the scriptures that the Messiah was Jesus. So friends, let's step back from that and understand that debates not only reach out to the lost, and, and we've, we've met the people that have come to faith. I'm sure there are many, the vast majority we have never met, but have met those who've come to faith through debates we've done. And thankfully, there, there are so many good apologists out, Christian apologists and dealing with rational scientific issues and folks like my friend Frank Turek on college campuses and, you know, Josh McDowell and now Sean McDowell and, and folks like William Lane Craig who are out doing what they do and my friend James White and others like David Wood and, and others doing Islamic debates and others and such good fruit has come out of it. But I, I was invited to one country where there had been a local Messianic Jew who debated a very solid rabbi and the very solid rabbi kind of demolished him. And rather than recognizing that he didn't do well and brought reproach to the Lord, he kept challenging him to a series of debates. Somehow he thought he did well. And those debates went on, several of them, and it brought reproach to the Messianic Jewish community in that country. Uh, a, a Messianic Jewish leader asked me, Michael, would you fly over to that country? And would you debate this rabbi? Let's do two different debates. Would you debate him? And I said, yeah, of course, absolutely. The rabbi was willing to do it, never would you know, step back from a challenge to put his ideas out publicly, feels that Judaism must be able to hold its own in the marketplace of ideas and not, not shun from public debate, etc. So we went over there to do the debates, and my friend told me the whole reason he wanted to go there was to encourage the believers, because it had been so discouraging to see one of their leaders, even though not a prominent leader, but one of their leaders so trounced and, and the Lord's name mocked, it discouraged them from their witness, made it look like what they believed was stupid. And then when we did the debates and we were able to present the truth clearly and, and respond to objections strongly, that brought a wave of encouragement to the believers there. All right, let me take you into an in-house debate. This is Christian versus Christian or believer versus believer on the gifts of the Spirit, whether they are for today. Do they continue for today? And this was with a, uh, a professor or teacher, Dr. Theodore Zechariatis, who has a Ph.D., in New Testament Greek, and we were having our discussion about the gifts of the Spirit, whether they're for today. This was the time of me asking him questions and going back and forth. You know, he would ask me questions, I would ask him questions. So let's check this out. I I gave you a number of explicit texts, one you referenced at the end yourself, where we are called on to pursue spiritual gifts, or 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul says, don't despise prophecy, etc., can you give me any explicit texts that say we should not do these things today? Well, again, um, I believe that God told us that the prophecies will end, and he will stop them. So you say that that's going to be until the end. I don't believe that's what's borne out by the exegesis of 1 Corinthians 13. I think that's an imposition on the text. He's not talking about the end of time. He's not talking about the parousia. He's not talking about the second coming or heaven or perfection in the afterlife or death. He's not talking about any of those things. He's talking about a completed revelatory process. All right, but to repeat my question, is there an explicit text? Yes. Because I, I read that said, do not, uh, I read it said, do not 
of forbid tongues, okay? And I don't do, think that's the right reading of that oh, text. Oh, let's put that aside then. Earnestly pursue these things, especially prophecy. Can you give me a text that says he's don't saying, do that? He's saying earnestly desire the spiritual. In 1 Corinthians 12, he uses their word because that's what they're doing, what they think is best. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in that verse, verse 39, he's not saying the same thing as he was saying there. But he's it's, saying... It's, it's, it's different, and so you can't equate them. Well, well uh, again, that's your interpretation. I am, saying, that, that I am he, saying that desiring prophecy is what Paul was urging them to do. Oh, does he ever urge me not to? Well, no. I mean, he, he, he doesn't say, don't desire prophecy. Okay, so he does say desire it, and he never says don't desire it. <laughs> okay, you, you, you're trying to trick me. No, no, I'm trying to go with the word. No, 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 no. You, uh, sir, I if, would not try to trick if you. If prophecies are going to cease when the complete revelation comes, then you're no longer going to seek them because they're not evident. They're not coming. They're not there. You don't seek what's not there or what God doesn't intend. It's God that intends for them to stop. All right, so you agree he never says don't seek them. He does say seek them. He never says don't seek them. Yeah, well, I, 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 I want to say yes, but with reservation. Oh, okay. Because what you're, what you're implying with that is that they must continue in the same fashion up until the coming of Christ. Well, I don't believe that's borne out by the text. Okay, so we'll come back to 1 Corinthians in a moment. But all clear on that. He does explicitly say seek. He never explicitly says don't seek. All right. Yeah, so that was just a little interchange. And by the way, I, w I was challenged to do that debate. Of course, I, I would do it in a heartbeat, gladly. And I so appreciate Dr. Zechariah doing the debate, but I was asked to do it. In other words, folks reached out to me and said, would you do this? So with great joy. And we need to know what the word says, know what to believe, right? We come back, my debate with a liberal rabbi about messianic prophecy. Stay tuned. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, as, as I travel around the world, obviously traveled more around the world before COVID than during, but as I travel around the world, one thing that I would often hear all around America, around the world, people saying, oh, I love to watch on YouTube, but then specifically, I love to watch your debates. I thought, boy, I wish the Lord would give me more opportunity to have debates. Sometimes we get great calls. Some of you will call in and challenge me on a point or question me on something, or sometimes we'll set up a friendly debate. But I, I love to do it. I feel grace to do it. It's one of those situations where you really come in leaning on the Lord because you don't want to trust your own wisdom and you know that you're representing him and his truth, so you want to do it well, and, and you want to demonstrate his, his grace towards others in the midst of speaking the truth clearly. So there's a lot that rides on it. And again, I know people that are in the faith, having come through a debate, that came out of a cult or wrong thinking or error because of a debate, and many who are strengthened in their faith are still in the faith because of a debate. So, so excited about this series that will start airing on Awakening TV you can find out more at AwakeningTV.com about the network. Uh, they'll, they'll be telling you more about the debate show that'll, I don't know, maybe start airing next month. We'll have to see. But uh, scheduled to record eight different debates to start things off and really, really excited to see the Lord glorified in the midst of this. And again, Luke 21:15 is a key verse. We've been praying that the Lord would give 
be words and wisdom that no one would be able to resist. So it's not about me doing well. It's about the Lord being glorified. So a few years ago, I was in England, and Justin Brierley with the wonderful, unbelievable uh, broadcast for so many years facilitating discussion between people of different faiths and atheists and believers and discussion dialogue among fellow believers asked me if I'd have a dialogue with a well-known liberal rabbi. So this is a rabbi who'd have a, a different viewpoint than an Orthodox rabbi, so still very much Jewish, but uh, much more rational, humanistic in thinking than an ultra-Orthodox would be more fundamentalist. We could probably relate more to the way an ultra-Orthodox rabbi would think about Scripture than a Reformed rabbi. But we were discussing Messiah, Messianic prophecy. Justin Briley is, is uh, moderating the dialogue. So let's take in. We've got three clips to play for you. Let's go famous rabbi like Jacob Endin in 1757 who wrote about Jesus being one of us who did not come to, a, to abolish the law of the prophets. And then from Joseph Klausner and Yecheskel Kaufman and Albert Einstein and Martin Buber and Gezer Vermesh and, and others, reformed rabbis like Abraham Geiger and Kaufman Kohler or, or Pinchas Lapid, David Flusser, modern Israeli scholars, all of whom had an appreciation of Jesus the Jew. Some who believed that he was a great teacher, a luminary, different ways. So I'm saying just Take it a step further. He wasn't just a great mm. teacher. He mm. wasn't just a luminary. He came as, as Messiah. And if we, can, if we can discover him as one of our own and not coming to start a brand new foreign religion, but rather coming to fulfill what's written in Moses and the prophets, I think that's the first major step to getting us in the right direction. Before we talk about who you think Jesus was, what do you make of Michael's view that there will one day be a sort of a revelation, an opening of the eyes of the Jewish people to the Messiahship of, of Christ? Well, if he's happy being a, a Messianic Jew, then great, I've got no problem with that. I mean, it's just not for me, right. and frankly, it's not for most Jews. And also, if you're talking about timescales, I mean, we've been waiting for, what, 2,000 years? That's a heck of a long time. So if I... And the whole thing, point about biblical prophecy um, was... You know, if I tell you the world's going to come to an end in the year 5072, you'll think, well, so what? You know, I'm mm. going to be gone within 80 mm. years, let alone 3,000. It doesn't really make any difference. The whole point of prophecy is to tell people what's going to happen either this year or next year, because then you can really do something about it. And then you can repent, you can mm. mend your ways, you can build uh, w walls around the oceans, goodness knows what. You know, so the whole point of biblical prophecy was the here and now. Telling people that something's going to happen in 2,000 years, well, big deal. Um, and similarly, uh, for us, you know, if, if something was going to happen, it should have happened right in the year. What, 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 what do you make of that argument? It's been too long for your prophecy. Oh to no, be, it's, it's to quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite because traditional Jews have been waiting longer, and, and traditional Judaism would claim the idea of Messiah goes all the way back to the beginning. So traditional Jews would be saying that you know. Yeah, but we say it hasn't come yet. Whereas right. you say it has. No, so no, we're no. Not, no we, I'm it, saying the first part. We already have the first part in the down payment. So we have great confidence in the rest. Whereas you don't even have the first part of the down payment. So so you've been waiting longer with nothing. We we have the deposit down payment plus the message spreading throughout throughout the entire world. Just as, so prophecy is being fulfilled every day in that respect. All right. So that was the the first part of her interaction. And obviously, prophecy does tell us a lot of things about today, and the prophets tell us how God wants us to live, you know, Old Testament prophets rebuking sin, etc. But they also prophesied about the end of days, and they also prophesied about the Messiah. So it's both a message for now and a message for future hope. All right, so now some of the dialogue discussion continues. 
Well, you know, the, the, you see, I've got a problem now because mm. for me to counter that means debunking you, um, and, <laughs> and, and therefore and seeming very style. rude. Well, uh, but you know, as I, I say, in a sense, I want to, to. You know, this is where we have those frank discussions, and right. so don't feel that you're in any way being rude by by doing that. And Michael, I'm sure, is perfectly yeah. used to to that kind of thing. Um, I mean, this leads us, I think, to the the core of the issue, which is. What, why don't you feel yourself that Jesus did fulfill Messianic right. prophecy? Uh, and, and who was Jesus in that case, as far as okay. you're concerned? Let me tell you my view, which I believe okay. quite strongly is the, the Jewish view, whether it's mm -hmm. Orthodox or Reform, um, which is that Jesus certainly existed. Uh, he was a great teacher, clearly. He was a great preacher, clearly. Um, full stop. That's it. Okay. You know, not son of God, not divine. Um, uh, was he a look, rabbi, a sort of itinerant sort of rabbi? Could have been. He could day. have been part of the Pharisaic tradition that was going along. Uh, and um, yes, Michael quoted some names of people who were accepting him more, but they weren't accepting him as Messiah. They were accepting him as, a, as as someone who existed within the rabbinic um, and, tradition, and, you know, yes. was rabbinic mm. and and uh, and so forth. And and the reason why I and Jews throughout the last 2,000 years didn't accept Messiah Jesus is because from our point of view, he just failed the litmus test. There's okay. only one test, which is to bring peace to the world. And you just look yeah. around and look at the news and the papers and we're not, we're not there. doesn't mean to say we have to give up, we can all work towards it, um, but he just failed the test. And, it's not, and you know, this is not a modernist view. Look at the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, from Rabbi Gamliel, when people run to him and say, look, there's this guy, Jesus, claimed to be the Messiah, what do we do? And he says, yeah, just calm down. You know, if he is the Messiah, great, you know, great, well, that's what we want. And if he isn't, well, so what? It'll peter out. It, it'll yeah. peter out. And we don't have this idea of heresy, of it's a heretical to claim to be the Messiah, because there were dozens of people who claimed to be the Messiah, and they were wrong, and, you know, wish they'd been right. But, so, really, um, and by the way, we talk much, much more about the Messianic age, because it's the era of peace. Right. rather than the person. Than the person. And so who's so also just, going to be just, human, Just by give the way. me an idea then from your perspective, Jonathan, of, of what you are awaiting um, in terms of this messianic age. What, what will be the marker that the Messiah or the messianic age has come? Well, I mean, humanity clearly flawed because, you know, we, we mess things up in our personal lives, in our social lives, international lives and so forth. And so really the idea of a messianic age is that we can actually get together and just do the decent things and peace and harmony. It's as simple as that. And we all know those moments where, you know, for half an hour the family roots together or the country comes together or whatever. Um, and it would be nice to make that half an hour not just half an hour, but a day, a week, a year, mm. and so forth. We know it's possible, um, but it doesn't happen because people are, are flawed. And therefore, it's not a matter of um, waiting for some external intervention. We've all got a role in bringing that, just by kinder, nicer, uh, spreading the gospel, if you like, of, uh, of good relations. So it's, so it's, are you it's even, an ideal we're working towards. It doesn't sound as though you're even that invested in a person being involved no, in this, in, no. in a messiah. Uh, and we, uh, Judaism at large, uh, has largely talked about the messianic time, messianic era, because it's the peace that counts, not the person who brings it in. Um, and also we, we, we don't have this imminent sense. Um, you know, it, it might happen next year, it might well happen in 2000 years. We don't, it's just the working towards it. In other words, that we progress towards a better version of today. Yeah, so uh, I then got to respond to that. I don't have time to show it to you. You can, you can watch that debate on our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, or over on Facebook, Ask Dr. Brown. Uh, but if you look for it on YouTube, just search for uh, Liberal Rabbi, and you'll see my response, which talks about the emphasis on the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, and then, of course, that there were two phases to his mission. First, to come and die for our sins, and, and for that message now to be brought to the entire world, and then for him to return at the end 
and destroy wickedness and establish his kingdom. You can see uh, how these things get interesting. You can see how people will be drawn to watch them. And again, my goal is not to win a debate. My goal is not to look good. My goal is to see the Lord glorified. My goal is to see a spirit of truth rise. My goal is to see error exposed. My goal is to see people who are hurting or disbelieving find answers, find hope, find faith. And this requires not just knowledge of Scripture, but sensitivity of heart and the leading and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's why when I go to do a debate, even if I know I have all the answers in my head, you know what I'm saying? I'm not concerned that someone's going to raise something to me that I'll think, oh, no, I don't have an answer for that. In in debates where I'm prepared to know what's coming, obviously I'm in my field. If I was out of my field, I wouldn't touch the thing for that very reason because I'd be stumped and would make God and the gospel look bad. Here I am as representative and I can't speak adequately. But I go in confident that I have the information, confident that I'm on the side of truth, but I go in with a sense of holy dependence on the Lord because this is very sacred ground to me. And, and we're debating things that are life and death issues and that perhaps people can be set free and eyes can be opened and lives can be changed. And it could literally be the difference between life and death, between being with God and being judged outside of his presence. So thank you for praying. We'll give you updates, uh, God willing, at the end of the week on Friday. I'll let you know. Uh, how the broadcasts went, how the, how the shooting went. Maybe I'll be tweeting about it or posting on social media as well. Oh, oh, and um, we've got tomorrow on the Tuesday broadcast, we're going to just talk about the Sabbath. What does the Bible say about the Sabbath? The Wednesday broadcast, what does the Bible say about tithing? So don't miss a single show this week. Another program powered by the Truth Network.